0: I'm so encouraged by uh, the morning prayer and just, what encourages me is to see the church come every morning, to see people actually making the effort and trying to uh, just wake up with the rest of the church. And it's been refreshing, it's been encouraging as a pastor. This past week, on Sunday after I came to church, that evening I just got hit with the flu. And so for the first three days of, of uh, of this week I, I, I felt like I felt like death was upon me. But it wasn't just it wasn't just me that got the flu. My wife got the flu, my and my two kids got the flu. And if you ever had the flu with two kids that are still energy driven, it's just like I looked at Steph and I'm like, why do we have kids? <laughs> um, because they're sick. So they're extra whiny, but their energy doesn't go down. It's like, why? Why are you still running around? Stop. I want to sleep. And at one point, we thought it was COVID. We got tested. We're all negative. So praise God for that. Um, And it is the flu that's going around. Uh, Judah and I are on the mend. Faith and Steph are still pretty sick. So keep them in prayer. Um... But even in that sickness, so my my daughter wakes up every morning at 6. So that's why I could join 6.30 easily. Um, Because my daughter wakes up at 6 because she's hungry. Because she goes to bed at 6. So she sleeps 12 hours, wakes up, she's hungry, she she cries. And so even in that sickness, I still had to wake up at 6. And I logged on to prayer that first morning, seeing 35 faces, I was so encouraged that even in my grogginess and in my congestion and everything I was just like I'm so encouraged And then on Thursday I saw Dan (laughs) I was like last week I called him out and I I mean I make a spectacle of Dan quite often I love it It's all love for Dan And he came and I was like oh I'm even more encouraged (laughs) But yeah, if you guys could do it, please try. Uh, like Ben said, you don't even need to participate. I didn't even, I didn't really participate. I just had the phone on listening and just the prayers that were coming through and the prayers that were coming over the church and the prayers that were, it just helps you through that day. I encourage you, it sets, your, it sets the tone for the day, you know? So if you can, please sign on, please join. Um, join whenever you can. Even if you're getting ready for the day, do it. All right, so today we're going to look at uh, part four of our foundation series. And today what we're going to look in at is the importance of this book. How many of you guys actually have your Bibles with you today? Whether it's the physical copy or if it's on your phone. Today we're going to talk about this. We know that this book is true, right? That this is called the Holy Bible. It is the only Bible that has the word holy in front of it. Most of us, I assume, have copies at home, even if they don't have the copy here today. That you probably have several versions of this book at home, whether it's the ESV or NIB or NASB, or I could, there's so many different versions of, of, of the Bible. But here's just a couple of fun facts of the Holy Bible the Bible is the best selling book in the world, that every year over 100 million copies of the Bible is sold. Every year. The Bible has been translated to 690 different languages. The original text was written in three different languages of Hebrew and Aramaic in the Old Testament and Greek for the New Testament with over 40 different authors of various backgrounds from farmers, fishermen, tent makers, doctors, scribes, musicians, and even kings. It's the location of where it's written is spread over three different continents, that there are 66 books within the Bible, and it was written over a period of over a 1,000 years. That's incredible, right? That we believe in a book that is written by over 40 authors over a 1,000 years, compiled together. Let me ask you guys a couple of questions. How many of us have actually read the entirety of the Bible, the whole book? How many of us have read or continue to read this book daily? How many of us try to memorize this whole book? (laughs) Now I'm not trying to shame us or showcase who's doing what, but today what I want to try here is to make a case I wanna make a case here, and by this, the end of this sermon, I want to try to at least encourage you to read it more than you already do today. But before we do that, let's pray. Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for your holy word, and as even as we look into your holy word today, Lord, we just ask for your spirit to come. Lord, let your spirit come and saturate us, saturate our hearts, saturate our minds, let us be filled with your spirit as we, we, we take in this message. And Father God, may you speak through me uh, to your people. May I just be an instrument of your worship. So Father God, we just pray, Lord, that as we come together as a church family, Lord, we pray for your presence, we pray for your wisdom, and we pray for um, our, our worship and our blessing be a blessing unto you. So Lord, we thank you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So for those of us that have been around the church or have grown up with the church or, or, or just know this book, I'm going to give you, we're going to give you a little bit of things. We know that the book consists of 66 books. It's split into two parts, 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament. Uh, now, how do we get to a place to decide that this Compilation. what we see here, that this is the book and the finalized version of what God wants us to read. How do we know that? Well, if we look at the Bible, it started off as what we know as the Jewish holy book. It's called the Tanakh. So the Tanakh has 25 books in the Tanakh, and that is essentially the Old Testament, the, 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 the 39 books that we see here in this book, Now you're like, well, why does the Tanakh have 25 and our book has 39? That doesn't make sense. Well, in the Tanakh, the 12 Minor Prophets is one book, okay? And then books like Samuel, Kings and Chronicles are one book each they're not first and second kings first and second Samuel and first and second Chronicles the reason why that was all split is because when they re- wrote the the early scripture was all written in scrolls and so it would get too long these stories would get too long so they had to split it so we have the first part of Samuel and the second part of Samuel that's why we have first Samuel and second Samuel but in the Tanakh it's actually one book so what we have is the earliest versions of the book is called the Tanakh This is the book that Jesus refers to when he talks about scripture, okay? But even in Jesus' time, there was actually another book called the Septuagint. The Septuagint was the Greek translation of the Tanakh. Okay, so Tanakh was written primarily in Hebrew. There's a couple books that's in Aramaic um, because if you look at the timeline of the culture, it was Hebrew first, But as time went by, Hebrew became more of a lost language. Aramaic came in. And so the book of Daniel and Ezra was written in Aramaic. That's during the Babylonian Empire. And then once the Romans came in and took over, it became Greek. Okay. And so so this is due to the, 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 the different ruling empires that came in. So we have the, what we call the Hellenistic Jews, that's during Jesus' time. The, everything was written in Greek after that. Okay, And so we, what we see is that in the Septuagint, there is actually seven extra books that we don't find in our Bible. These seven extra books we actually find in the Catholic Bible. And these seven books are known as the Apocrypha. And the Apocrypha didn't make it into the fi- final canon. This is what we call the canon. These are the canon books. And those seven books are called the Deuteronomical canon books. Okay? Those books were... There's a, it's great for instruction, great for teaching, but it doesn't support the inspiration that the rest of these books have. And so what we see is... We have the Septuagint, we have the Tanakh, which is the original 39 or 25 in Jewish standards. And then when Jesus' time came, and after Jesus' time in the New, New Testament was being written, when the first early church started... Paul was writing these letters to encourage the church. So, what we see in the New Testament of the epistles, those are all Paul's writing to the early church, encouraging the church and teaching the church, this is what we need to do. That's what the the early church was devoted to, to the apostles' teaching, is the epistles. All right? What we see as epistles. And the New Testament was formed. And so, the earliest version of the New Testament that was formed and pulled together is about 200 AD. Okay, 280, it was formed, there was a, a brother by the name of St. Jerome, he kind of pulled all 66 books together, he's just like, this is going to be the Bible, and he takes out the seven that he calls Apocrypha, adds it to the back of the Bible, and says, this part of it is great for instructions, but it's not part of the original, okay. But now we, we see that, okay, we have different versions, like we have the Catholic Bible, which has the apocrypha integrated into it, into the Old Testament. So what's the difference? The difference is that when, as time went by, as Christianity became institutionalized, first by Constantine, and we actually have... Um, the Council of Nicene and the Council of Constant- Constantinople that kind of formed that original 66 books and the Apocrypha saying that this is the original text. That started forming and splitting the church into different places. Now, how did we finally rest in this place? So the Bible was formed around late 300s AD Early 400 was when St. Jerome decided, I'm going to pull everything together. But between 400 and 1500 AD, what happened? What happened is that the Bible wasn't very accessible to people. See, the Bible was very, it was hard for people to get a hold of because the Bible was actually written by monks. It was copied by monks by hand. They didn't have the printing press. They didn't have the technology to actually extend the Bible for all to read. And so the Bible, unless you were a king, unless you were part of the church, unless you were a monk, you really didn't have access to the Bible. Unless you were part of the elite society, you didn't have access to the Bible. And also, the Bible was only really available in a couple of languages. It was available in Latin, which we know as the Vulgate. And not a lot of people understood Latin. Right? We know that a lot of languages come out of the Latin language, but not a lot of people understood that. Only scholars really understood that. So first, there was a language barrier, but second, it was the access to the Bible wasn't really available. But along came a man named Martin Luther, who we know, started the Lutheran Church. He started this thing called the Reformation. And the Reformation is what he made available to the entirety of common people, he took the Bible, translated it from Latin to German, common German, not even like high German, common German, and said, this is for everybody to read. Even in Luther's Bible, he went back to that aspect of there's 66 books and seven books of the Apocrypha. Okay, So we, we still haven't lost that yet. Our Bible, we don't have the Apocrypha, but th- th- at that point, it's still not lost. And so... As we, as we continue, now the Bible can, gets translated into French, into English, into Spanish, into all these different languages. And it was not until King James in the 1600s. So 1611, King James decided, I'm going to make this available for everybody. And with the invention of the printing press, the Bible was available and easily and readily available. And so the King James Version in 1611 is the first complete i would say version of what we see today and then now we have many many translations and all these translations and versions is because of as time goes by it's to make it easier for us to understand so it's changing the language so we have the new living translation the message the The ESV, the NASB, the NIV, the NRSV. There's so many different versions. And all of those really doesn't matter which version it is. It is still the same book, but it's about the language and how they write the Bible. Now, is any of this important? No. Why did I just put you through that? It's because I like that. (laughs) I'm interested in it. But now you know a little bit more of the history of the Bible, right? And now you could actually look into this, it's like, oh, why, why do I read the Bible? Why do I, where did this Bible come together? How did it come together? Well, what is needed is that, and what is known is that every book and every word that is written in this book is inspired by God, and it's the history of God and his people. This is a book that people spend a lifetime in studying and still there are mysteries within it. It is a book that inspires so many theological books. And sometimes it's easier for us to understand reading some of these theological books than to read the Bible for ourselves. This book records the vision, the mission, and the purpose of the church. And it reveals to us that God is in all things. So go on, read this book for yourself. Why? Because the Bible tells us that we should read it. The Bible itself, it says you should read it. In 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. To be a follower of Christ, we need to know our scripture. Jesus knew the scripture. He studied it day and night himself from when he was a little boy. And as Christ followers, as imitators of Christ, we too need to know the scriptures. But it's not just about knowing the word. It's not just about knowing it. We need to be consumed by it. What does that mean? It means that it, the Bible becomes your thinking and your mind. It becomes the lens that you look at the world through. That's right. You need to believe that the promises of this book and you need to put your faith in it. It's not enough just to know it, you need to believe in it, okay? That's two very, very different things. A lot of people know the book and what is written in it, but very few people believe everything in it. We need to have faith in the stories that the book talks about. We need to know that this book is about God and it points us to the man of Jesus. We need to believe that the Bible allows us to reach out to God to understand his powers and his miracles. We need to believe that we could actually reach God. Just like the woman that was bleeding for, 20, for 27 years, he reached out and touched Jesus' cloak. And when he touched Jesus, when she touched Jesus' cloak, she was healed. We need to have that same faith when we read the Bible. To know that that word is true, but to know that when we read the Bible, that we have the ability to reach out to God, that we can reach out to him and understand and grasp his power, his his mind, his heart, his miracles, his healing powers, as we prayed this morning, that we need to have a faith that when we read this book, that's what it's about. It's like that woman reaching out to touch Jesus' cloak because she knew that Jesus could heal. That we need to have that same faith in the word that we read. Because when we read that word, we receive that same faith. We receive that same power. We receive the same miracles. Faith in this book means that we believe genuinely that everything in this book is true. Everything. Oftentimes we like to follow scholars or pastors or teachers or theologians that will teach us from the book. Sometimes it gives us faith. But sometimes it's just knowledge. You see, it's great that we actually have a library that is accessible to us that helps us understand this book better. But the reality is that there are a lot of people out there that will read this book and pull different things about it. There's a lot of people that are out there that will try to lie to you in life, and that includes theologians and Bible scholars and pastors and preachers. That in life, many people will try to teach you their version of what the Bible is talking about. But the only way that you'll be able to discern what is right is by knowing what's in this book for yourself. So unless you're reading it over and over and over and over again, you won't be able to tell who is lying to you. You see, there are people out there that that want to take this book and twist it in ways that justifies their lifestyle and the beliefs that they have. They will have taken the verse and take it so far out of context that you don't even see the character or the heart of God anymore. But they're saying it's written in the Bible. All you see is the heart of man. And what this leads us is a place where where we begin to deconstruct our faith to a point where neither Jesus or God exist. And then it just becomes a belief system that has no grounds to stand on. No wonder why people after deconstruction leave the church. It's because the divinity and the sovereignty of God is no longer in the picture. And of course, that gives us no ground for the church to stand on. I was talking to some Bible scholar type friends who like to debate the Bible. And I like to debate the Bible. And I like to to, 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 to go deep. And I remember this one time, um, they were talking about Noah and Noah's flood. And I'm one of those people that take the Bible very literally. I don't... I don't try to, to, to pull out metaphors or like this is, this, is, this, is, um, this is not a literal aspect. But we were talking about the Noah's flood and how they said the flood that's spoken in Noah is not a worldwide flood, but a regional flood. And that we have taken it out of context. So I was like, okay, yeah, maybe. But when I read the Bible, when I read the story for myself, It says that God is going to destroy all the earth and all the flesh and all living things are going to die. So that doesn't really sound like a regional flood to me. And it also talks about how the ark rose above the earth and was in the heavens and that the water covered all the high mountains up to 15 cubic feet deep. I was like... That's kind of specific to be a regional flood. And it says that everything on, the, in, on earth died besides the people and the life that was on the ark. So I was just like, so I really don't think that it was a regional thing, but a literal worldwide thing. You see, we can argue the premise of the Bible, but if you don't know the specific details... It's like taking that same story of Noah's Ark and going to your kids' room and painting a beautiful picture of a boat with animals sitting in it and forgetting all the death that was written because of the flood waters. We like to paint these beautiful kids' pictures, and maybe I'm going too far with this, But it's the same thing where we paint just the picture of Noah's Ark and Noah's family surviving. But we don't paint the picture that the entire world died. That the picture probably has bodies floating on the water and animals on the water and death underneath the water. But that's what I'm saying is that when we only want to look at the picture or the perspective that we want to see, we miss out on the entirety of what that picture really is. Is that too far? Should we be painting death bodies with Noah's Ark for our kids' rooms? Probably not. But that's what I'm saying. That's just an example of how we take it to the lens and perspective of what we want to see it. If you only try to understand the Bible through your own lens, you will never get to see how the Bible can become your lens in life. You won't be able to discern what are the lies and what isn't. As a pastor, I get to study the word so that I could teach and give exhortation to the church. But I also need to saturate my life with the word because I still need to navigate the same things in life as you do. I am a human that reads the Bible for myself. I pray to a God that listens to me and the power of the Holy Spirit speaks to me through his word. And this is what I am as a Christian and follower of Christ. There are a lot of people out there that are going to try to persuade you according to their theology. According to what they know and what their chosen lifestyle is. But the only defense that you have is for you to know this same word and reading this word to determine whether what they're saying is true or not. It's funny, as I was preparing this sermon... So there's a lot of things that I do in this church right now. I, 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 I prep for this series, but I also prep for the small group. So we're going through the book of Daniel. So if you're part of the, um, small group, you'll see you'll see my face quite a bit um, in in the small group teachings as well. But on top of that, I also do my own study, and in my own study, I'm studying. I'm going through First Kings right now, and I'm like, this could not be a better like this could be cannot be more appropriate. Okay, so 1 Kings 13, I read this yesterday. And I was like, this is perfect for my sermon. I wasn't planning to include it, but I just feel like I need to. First Kings chapter 13, you have your Bibles turned there. It talks about a prophet's disobedience. Okay, prophet. Right? We talk about, we follow theologians, we, we follow scholars, we follow all these, 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 these leaders of the church. This is a prophet. Okay, A prophet in the city of Bethel. What is happening is that there's a, this prophet in the city of Bethel, in this story, and there's this, this other prophet from Judah that comes to speak to, to the king. And this prophet hears about this, this holy man that's come to speak to the king, and that he got the, 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 the audience of the king. And so this prophet goes out, and he's just like, he goes out, and he's like, I need to meet this prophet. I, meet, I need to meet this guy. And so he saddles his donkey, he goes out, he seeks after this man, this man sitting under an oak tree, and he's like, come back with me to my home to have a meal. But this other prophet, this holy man from Judah is like, no, God told me, like, do, go there, give this word to the king, do not eat there, do not drink there, do not even go back on the same route that you went there, go to another route, and I'm not to stay in Bethel or to eat or drink or anything from that land. And so that's what he shares. He's like, I can't. I I can't come back with you. But the prophet of Bethel tells him, he's just like, I too am a prophet. And an angel spoke to me to bring you to my house to have a meal. He lies to the other prophet, saying that an angel came to me to tell me to bring you home. So this prophet listens to him, he's like, oh, okay, you're a prophet too. Listen, to him. go home, goes to his house, has a meal with this man, and as they have the meal, as they finish the meal, the prophet in Bethel is just like, whoops, actually, you're not supposed to eat here, you're not supposed to drink here. God said that you have disobeyed him. This is the worst part of it. He saddles his donkey, he goes home, on his way home, he gets attacked by a lion and he gets killed. What kind of crazy story, right? <laughs> What, the Bible is full of crazy stories. But this is an example of how we could be dissuaded, how we could be lied to by even scholars and even theologians and even pastors and preachers. That we, unless we know who God is for us, unless we know the scriptures for ourselves, that we could, be, we, could, we could be led astray, that we could actually not know the truth for ourselves. And we'll start believing certain things as truth when it is not truth. Just because that pastor said it. How do you know that what I'm saying to you is true? How do you know that I didn't just make up that story of a lion attacking a prophet? How do you know that? You read it so that you understand that, yes, this is a a story in this book. That's how you know. That's why we need to know these things. That's why we need to read these stories. That's why these things are important to us. We need to know the word enough to discern what is a lie and what isn't. You can follow theologians and pastors because they are validated by what you read in the Bible. See what they know, but look at their lives. Do they walk like Jesus? But you don't know what Jesus looks like unless you read the Bible. I said, you can't know the book, but you have to believe in it. But the reverse is also true. You can't just believe it, without knowing it either. In knowing the word, you can do all things. You can conquer your sins and, and conquer your temptations. You can live out the gospel. You can chase after God's heart for the poor and the oppressed. And it gives you that desire to chase after God's heart. How do we keep our lives pure? Psalms 119. It says, How does a young man or young woman keep his ways pure? by living according to his word. In Luke 10, we have a story of Mary and Martha, a very famous story. Mary and Martha, Jesus at the presence, Mary is at Jesus' feet, and Martha is running around doing things. And when Martha goes and complains to Jesus, Jesus says, Mary has chosen, what? The good portion. Our church is filled with Marthas. We're so busy trying to do things that we forget that we also need to sit at Jesus' feet. We're so busy trying to to do the work of Jesus, but if you don't sit at Jesus' feet, what work are you actually doing? Jesus said, one thing is necessary. Psalms 27. One thing I have asked of the Lord, this is David writing, that I may seek after, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. One thing that I ask for, one thing that I seek is that I dwell in the house of the Lord. We talk about the aspect of of god and the holy spirit habitating with us not just setting our lives up for visitation where god could be a part of our just our devotions and our church and our, our cell group life but be a part of every aspect of our life this is what it's about that i ask that i may dwell in the house of the lord all the days of my life psalms 1 talks about how i delight in the law of the lord on his law he meditates day and night he is like a what a tree planted Planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. The church needs to get deep in its roots. We need to get planted, okay, by s- streams of living water. That's the Word of God, streams of living water. That's what's going to give you your strength, that's what's going to allow your roots to extend. That's how you're going to be strong and firm in the Word. Yeah. That we need to be planted. The church needs to get deep and it only happens when individuals get alone in the word of God. It's not enough for us to stand here to preach to you the word of God every single week. That's once a week at 40 minutes because I'm limited by Rich for 40 minutes. Which I'm probably close to anyways. But imagine how deep deep the church could if every single one of us the individuals alo- get alone in the word of god how powerful this church will be if it reads the word of god together mm-hmm. his thoughts are higher than our thoughts yes. what does god think his thoughts god's thoughts are superior to our yes. thoughts yes. they're bigger than what we know anything that you need to know ask god steph showed me this video last night as she was trying to fall asleep this is the problem of my wife. She, her, her, her brain doesn't know how to stop. And she showed me this video of, okay, my son is really into space right now. And so we get a lot of space suggestions on our YouTube videos. But it was this video that zoomed out from planet Earth and goes out into our solar system, It goes out, you see the Moon, you see our solar system and their planets, and it zooms out even further. And further and further, and soon enough, you you see our galaxy, the Milky Way, and how that every star we see is actually a sun, and every sun has planets that revolve around it. So every star you see has planets that that are revolving around it, just like our solar system with nine planets and five dwarf planets. I bet you guys didn't know that. (laughs) But that our galaxy is made out of billions of stars, and that our galaxy, the Milky Way, is next to another galaxy called the Andromeda. And that these two galaxies are at some point going to collide, apparently. But that when we look out even further, that there are millions of galaxies. That all of these galaxies compromise of what the universe is. And then as you zoom out even further than that, we get into like the Marvel superheroes now. Because then there are multiple universes out there. We're talking multiverse. This is cool stuff. Marvel's not lying to you. I'm kidding. Marvel is lying to you. It's all, it's all, it's all a hoax. But it shows how big God is. That in the limitations of man's mind that we, as we see multi-universes. That God is so much bigger than even what we can understand. That his thoughts are bigger than our thoughts. That anything that you need to tackle, go to God. How do we go to God? We read his word. We understand his scripture. We understand that through those lens, we start gaining the heart of God. and We start gaining what God wants us to do in life that we could tackle all things, that whatever struggles that we have or any wisdom that we're seeking, that God's word is there. That is why we need to study the word. And finally, we study the word because we are charged with a mission. 2 Timothy 4, 1-2, it says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in the kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. You are not going to be able to do that if you don't read the word for yourself. You're not going to be able to do that if you don't know what the word is about. You're not going to be ready in season or out of season. You're not going to be able to reprove or rebuke or exhort you're not going to be able to do any of this if you don't understand the word for yourself. But God says, "Go out and do these things. Preach the word. When you go out and when people question, why do you live the life that you live? You can't just stand there and say, I don't know. You can't. Because you understand deep in your heart that Jesus saved you for a reason. And that same reason, Jesus wants to save that friend that you're speaking to at that moment. And if you're not ready, if you don't know what the word of God is, if you don't know who the character, what the character of God is, or what the heart of God is, or what the will of God is, you're not going to be ready to be able to preach the word to that friend. So we need to do this, church. We need to do this individually. It's not enough for you to just come here and listen to me preach to you or teach you or go to our our cell group and, and listen to me babble about Daniel. That's not enough. You need to read the word for yourself. I charge you today to do that. Are you in a place where you have the confidence in the Bible to do what the Bible tells you, to be bold in your faith? Are we able, are we desperate enough, do we love God enough to reach out for his power? To reach out just like the woman that was bleeding. To touch the cloak of Jesus. Are we willing to do that? I am a human that reads the Bible for myself. And I pray to a God that listens to me. And I have the Holy Spirit that speaks through his word. That 's who I am and that's who you are let's pray father God we thank you Lord that you are a good God that is patient with us and you extend your grace and your mercy to us father God I just pray that as we come to a place of understanding who you are that Lord that you encourage us to read your word that you encourage us to study your word not because not just because for our own knowledge, but so that we get to grow in our intimacy with you. So Father God, we just pray that as we grow in our faith, that your word becomes the lens that we look and see the world through. Lord, that this becomes a part of who I am and that we are adopted into your kingdom because of all of these things. So Father God, we thank you. We give thanks for who you
1: are and what you've given us. And pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Are you guys stirred this morning? Is your appetite stirred to read more of the word of God, to take it in even more? You know, in Acts chapter 6, verse 4, the apostles identified for us the twin pillars of the foundation of the church. It says they gave themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. That's what we launched last week as an expansion of our prayer ministry in the church, but of equal importance is the ministry of the Word of God. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. The Bible that we preach at Five Stones, there is no more important time for us to dive into the Word of God and to make it our ultimate priority every single day. There's a battle that's going on out there in culture and it's the battle of the mind. There are so many things that are being messaged to you and if you're not in the word of God daily to renew and to be transformed in your thinking, then you will not come into that freedom. You will not come into that truth that Jesus has for you. So God, we just look to you right now and we thank you that you have given us the written word which is the living word and it speaks to us every single day. Lord, every single one of us, as we open the word, the heavens open over us. And I pray, God, a spirit of wisdom and revelation would come upon us, that this week our appetite would continue to grow, that this week, as we open the word, that you would be pouring forth your thoughts to us. God, we delight in it, strengthen us, cause us to be that tree that's planted by streams of water. We bless you and thank you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a great week, everyone. We'll see you next Sunday.